Welcome, everyone, to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. Always appreciate you tuning in. You're going to be glad you did today. We're joined by Dane Brugler, one of the best in the business at breaking down NFL prospects. You can find him on Twitter, at DP Brugler. You can also check out his content, including one of the most thorough draft guides on the market over at The Athletic. He just put up his latest seven-round mock draft this week. He's also got the Prospects to Pros podcast. He's a very busy guy. That's really what I'm trying to say here, and we're glad that he was able to carve out some time to join us today. Dane, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate that introduction, Justin. It's yeah, we're what two weeks away from the draft, so we are. It's almost there. It's been a it's been a fun process. It's been a different process uh, with everything going on. The the draft process this year is much different. No combine, um, you know, the so much emphasis on these pro days because we don't have the private visits and the facility visits and things like that. So a little bit different way of doing things, but you know, in two weeks it'll be all, uh, you know, it'll all come to fruition as we kind of you know, see how this all plays out. Yeah, and you talked about things being different. I mean, we're going to talk a little more about receivers today in this this fairly deep receiving class. But right at the top with Jamar Chase, you have a guy that opted out this year. That totally makes the whole thing difficult trying to analyze what he's going to bring to the table and how that's going to affect him. But before we get to the actual prospects, I want to ask about the draft guide because this is just a massive endeavor that you're undertaking every year. It, for me, I'm extra focused on the fantasy angle. So when I'm looking at breaking down the prospects, I'm focusing on the skill positions on offense, and I know how much time it takes me to be confident in those assessments. That's only four positions. You're covering every position on both sides of the ball, and we don't have to go over your specific approach to the analysis. I mean, it would take us forever. I think it would be very interesting, but we're not asking for the recipe today, right? That's what your podcast is for and all your content. But what I am curious about is the overview of what your calendar looks like work-wise, right? And maybe I'm asking this selfishly because I'm always trying to be more efficient. I'm always trying to like refine my process, but over the course of the year, and you can add in sort of the differences this year with a COVID impacted year, but what's your schedule like in terms of evaluating players and talking to folks who are connected around the league? And that's one where maybe that was a lot different this year, not going to as many events and then just how you bring that all together to have such an excellent final product. Yeah, and it's really, it is a year-round thing. Uh, you know, it starts in the summer where I'm watching, uh, you know, all the upcoming seniors and uh, all the notable underclassmen that we think will be part of that next year's uh, draft class and getting setting a base foundation for who they are as players, what to expect. And then, you know, that'll change as the, the, the fall season happens and we get the tape and, you know, then we can adjust our... Uh, our, our perspectives and our views on these guys uh, accordingly, but all the while, I'm talking with teams. I'm talking with uh, you know different people throughout the business. Uh, you know, trading information. Um, you know, getting these little tidbits, whether it's just a random piece of information about their background, or maybe it's something about their training, um, something about on the field, and having these conversations is really what helps me uh you know understand these players to the best i can understanding where they came from uh you know all these little life uh events that have gone on different points of adversity that they've had to overcome and then just focusing on the on-field stuff that it, it it's all relevant uh, you know just understanding their their background um you know that helps us to kind of explain the type of talent they are maybe where they're headed 
Um, and so throughout the you know the summer and then in the fall, it's it's really a lot of tape work, a lot of talking on the phone, a lot of texting. Um, you know, it it it's, it was different this past year with not as much traveling uh, in terms of in person scouting, and it it works just fine because the tape is what matters most of all. That's that's the focal point. Um, and then, you know, once we get to the January, that's where, like, I know like when Christmas and New Year's happens, that's when I know my life just is going to go away after those two uh, (laughs) holidays, because January, February, March, uh, those three months just don't really happen for me. Uh, you know, I kind of say goodbye to my kids and my family and I go and, um, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of travel to these different all-star events. It's the combine, which of course we didn't have this past year, hitting a few key pro days, um, all the while, um, polishing up, you know, ho- hopefully at that point, most of the haze in the barn in terms of, you know, the, all of my notes on these players at that point, it's just polishing it up and putting it into coherent reports that, um, you know, paint a picture of who each one of these guys are. So if you don't know anything about the player, my goal is by the time you read it at a, in, from the, my guide, you'll be able to picture him based off the background, the pro day data, the testing data, um, all the metrics, uh, the, the relevant stats, um, and the, of course the analysis. So, you know, it's, it's a year round thing that takes a lot of work, but uh, it's something I'm very proud of. And, and at my heart, I'm an, an NFL draft fan. And so I create a guide that I would love to, uh, you know, digest and uh, follow. And so that's really what drives me throughout the year. And it makes it all worth it when I get to uh, put it out there and, you know, talk with people about it. And so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned, you know, trying to paint that picture of the background. I talked about it on last week's show, but there's still as much work as we do on these prospects. There's still so much that we don't know in terms of how they're going to transition to the pros. And you're doing as much as you possibly can on that background. I talked last week about how even, you know, it's starting a new job. And think of any time you start a new job, there's all these other factors, how you're going to, you know, deal with people around you, what kind of support you're going to get from your new bosses, coaches in this situation, right? There's so many factors that go in that, you know, I, I love, especially in the fantasy world, I feel like there's some people that are so passionate about a player is going to be a star right. and they're just, you know, all in on that take. And it's like, we don't really know all the information. We're just trying to make the most educated guesses or, you know, paint the best picture we can. And I think you're really doing that. So I love it. Let's get into these prospects though, a little bit. And the reason I wanted to dig into receivers a little bit more, it's, I mean, I feel like it's the deepest group this year in terms mm-hmm. of the, the fantasy relevant positions. Quarterback, definitely fairly deep. Don't get me wrong, but we also talked about quarterbacks with Danny Kelly on last week's show. So anybody that's interested in that, if you haven't already listened, you can go back and check out that episode. So let's shift to the pass catchers and let's start with the guy that I already mentioned off the top, Jamar Chase. He's the number one wide out on most people's boards this year, I feel. But what I want to know from you is, just how good is he? What kind of ceiling can we expect here? Is he the kind of elite prospect that could be that superstar in the NFL? Are we looking at a future all pro type guy? Or maybe are there some aspects to his game that people aren't considering that might hold him back? What's your outlook for Chase? Well, I think there are two areas of his game that stand out as reasons why he can be a bona fide number one for an offense. Uh, and that's his gear changing acceleration and that physical my ball mentality. Uh, he is so far advanced in both those areas. And, you know, his size is average six foot, 200 pounds, under 31 inch arms. But the route movements are outstanding. Uh, he plays with that aggressive finishing toughness that you love to see. Uh, in 2019, because of course being an opt out, we didn't see him this past year. And I think he, you know, Penny Sewell and 
Rashawn Slater, a few of these other guys, they didn't need to take another snap for us to know kind of you know what type of football players they are. Yeah. Uh, now that's not the case for all these opt outs. You know, Gregory Rousseau and some of these other guys, which you know we're missing that extra year of development. But for Chase, you know, we kind of know what he is coming off a 2019 season where he was just a record-breaking presence on that LSU offense. He led the country in yards after contact among receivers. So he's going to break tackles. Uh, He's going to make it tough on defenders to get him on the ground. 85.1% of his catches resulted in a first down or touchdown, which is just a remarkable number. Anything over 70% is, in my opinion, you know, above average and, you know, you're doing pretty good. So he's at 85%. That's just silly. Uh, The toughness, the body control. The finishing skills are just different than what we usually see coming out of uh, the college level. And I I see some shades of a smaller Larry Fitzgerald uh, in that respect. What could hold him back? You know, I I think sometimes he relies too much on out-physicaling the man across from him. And that will be a lot tougher in the NFL against NFL corners. So there is room for him to add maybe a little bit more nuance to his releases, uh, to his steps, instead of relying on just being that physical, uh, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, out aggressive you uh, as his way to force his way past corners. So there's so there's some room for him to balance that a little bit more. But I think, yeah, everything's there for him to, uh, you know, be a, a true number one threat and a guy that, it could compete to be a top five to six to seven receiver in the NFL uh, at some point during his rookie contract. Yeah, I love that Larry Fitzgerald comp. Not a bad guy to get comp to. Uh, <laughs> in addition to Chase, you have you got five total receivers listed with possible first round grades. So you got Chase, uh, Jalen Waddell, uh, Devonta Smith, Kadarius Tony, and Rashad Bateman. Do you have those guys broken down into more specific tiers in your mind? Like, is Chase well ahead of that group? Is it tight in terms of their pro potential? You know, where do you see the tier breaks among those five? I, I think there are the three guys at the top in that top tier. And then that's where I think there's a little bit of a, a gap. And then it gets a little more muddied in terms of how we separate these guys. Um, you know, you look at the top three and they're, they're different in how they win. Uh, but all three, I think can be incredibly impactful, uh, in the right role. Waddle, you know, he's not Tyree kill, but he's in that mold where you see the special speed. Uh, he can win before and after the catch, um, averaged 18.9, uh, yards per catch, uh, in college. And he's not just a gadget guy. You, he showed improved polish this past year. And you hear Nick Saban talk about, uh, his competitive profile and how it compares with Jordan and Kobe, which is obviously a rare error. Um, so Jalen Waddle, I think, is just an easy player to like, not only what he is now, but what he's going to continue to grow into. Uh, Devontae Smith, I think he also belongs in that top tier. He's a, is an outlier in terms of the body type, uh, and that's going to be an issue for some teams. Some teams are going to look at 170 pounds and say, okay, you know, like we think he's a good player, but we're just not going to invest a top 15 pick on an outlier. We're just not going to take that chance. That's not what we do. And so you will have that, but I still think there are going to be teams that say, screw the outliers. I mean, it's just, we're going to watch this tape and not fall in love with this guy. We're going to add him to our offense and he's going to be a key player for us. So, uh, you know, he started double digit games each of the last three years. So it's not like he has this uh, injury history that you're really worried about. And, And nobody could cover him on tape. He's instinctive. The routes, he's a gliding route runner. Uh, the coaches say he had the best ball skills on the team. And he's physically tougher than most 225-pound receivers 
that that we talk about. So uh, the toughness is not an issue for a 170 pounder. And I think, like I said, there's a little bit of gap after those top three, and that's really where it gets interesting. And you talk to teams throughout the league, and you you've got different a lot of different opinions about who that fourth, fifth, sixth receiver who who, who they are. Some prefer Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. Um, you know what he could be as that underneath uh, target, uh, but but also a guy that can you know sluggos and verticals and win deep. Um, you, you look at Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, and he might be the more savvy receiver of this group. Where you, you can insert it. You look at what Justin Jefferson did last year, and you say, okay, well, if he can give us just you know sixty percent of what Justin Jefferson did last year, we're feeling pretty good about Rashad Bateman somewhere in that twenty-five to thirty-five range overall. Uh, Kadarius Tony is in that mix. It just you know it, it depends on what type of receiver you're looking for. Kadarius Tony is more of that athlete. Uh, who you know you have to manufacture some touches for him. He's not a polished player, uh, and that that's okay because he, he's just figure out how to get him the ball and just let him eat. And you know you, you it, it's fascinating that on the Florida roster, all four years he was listed as an athlete, not as a receiver, uh, high school quarterback. Uh, you know there's some character stuff there that teams need to work through, but man, he's just a fun player to watch. He can get open, and then once he has the ball in his hands, it's like he's a magician, and you just kind of hear him saying, okay. For my next trick, I'm going to, you know, make <laughs> these five receivers disappear or these five defenders disappear. It's just, it's really remarkable how he does it. So in the right scheme and the right role, um, and it's not necessarily scheme, it's more about roles and just how a team plans on using these guys. Um, you know, they can all be impactful in their own way. So just a, I mean, I think you're, you're spot on saying this is, this position is just, uh, insanely loaded just like it was last year and you know we we could see I don't think we're going to see as many uh receivers drafted in the first two rounds as we did last year which set a record with 12 but we could see more top 100 receivers drafted this year than we did last year which is certainly saying something what about outside of those top guys I mean for fantasy one of the big things you know as much as everyone loves building a dynasty team and and putting together these players that you know might not pay off for a few years a lot of fantasy managers are just, they're looking at the players that are going to be able to come in and contribute as early as possible on their teams, right? So mm-hmm. outside of those top guys, I wonder if you, you have a receiver in mind. I mean, you kind of mentioned Elijah Moore. That's a name that's come up on a lot of these draft episodes that we've done, even going back to the fall. Um, I wonder if there's a guy outside of that top group that maybe you see as someone who could make a significant impact in the first couple of years in the league. Maybe somebody who is a little more pro-ready and who could star early in that NFL career, a day two guy, you know, somebody teams might, somebody that, you know, teams might regret passing on um, in the first couple of rounds or so. Anybody come to mind there? I'm a big fan of Clemson's Amari Rogers. I think he was ready for an NFL role yesterday. Uh, and in a lot of ways, he's, you know, that Debo Samuel mold where you just find different ways to get him the ball and allow his toughness to take over. Um, very savvy player of the slot, strong hands catcher, can win at all three levels, love the instincts, love the acceleration, and he's built like a running back. So he's going to break tackles. You throw on the Notre Dame tape and he's running through tackle attempts by Awusu Koromoa, who's going to be a first round pick. Uh, and then I think uh, Deami Brown out of North Carolina, I think he belongs in this conversation too. Uh, just because of how he wins. He's the best double move receiver in this class. And that's a skill. It's not just speed. It's understanding how to use his steps, how to use his body to leverage defensive backs. Uh, he's very, very skilled in that area, hitting the turbo button at the right time, winning over the top, tracking the ball really well. In terms of being a well-rounded receiver, it, it might take a little bit of time. But if 
teams are smart. They're going to give him those opportunities to win deep. And he averaged over 20 yards per catch the last two years at North Carolina. Accounted for 20 touchdowns. There are some inconsistent areas to his game, his game like I said, but and that might hold him back a little bit in terms of being you know a thousand yard receiver in the NFL. But a guy that can win downfield and you know pick up those big chunk yards, pick up touchdowns, uh, that's going to be his ticket to being that immediate impact guy in the right situation. All right, what if we go even further down? I mean, we asked Danny Kelly this last week. I want to get your pick for it too. Who's your favorite sleeper wide receiver? And sleepers are are tough now because of all the great work that people like you do that we tend to know about a lot of these guys already. But if we're talking like day three undrafted guy who's not getting enough respect, who you want to pound the table for here, you know, who's that guy? And if if you're curious, Danny went with Josh Palmer. He, he went with two. He went with Josh Palmer and Cornell Powell last week. Yeah, two two really good names. Uh, guys that probably won't go into the fourth or fifth range, uh, but you could see how they, in the right situation, they could be productive pros. Um, I'm going to say Stanford Simi Fajoko, uh, who could end up being a steal. Fourth, fifth round range, 6'4", 222 pounds, a 4'4 athlete, uh, large catch radius, quick feet, not the most natural hands catcher, and he needs continued route work, which not ideal for a guy that's 23 years old. He was a uh, you know religious mission guy, so there, there's a couple years of development missing, so different than most 23-year-olds. But he has yet to bl- play his best football, and he can play on special teams, which I think that's going to be important for a guy like this because he's going to stay on the roster while his game continues to develop. Uh, a deeper sleeper, to watch is Charleston's Mike Strawn, uh, 6'5", 225 pounds, uh, also ran track at the Division II level, set school records in several events. Nobody in school history at Charleston uh, reached 1,000 yards receiving uh, yard, uh, 1,000 yards receiving before Strawn, and he did it twice. So you watch the tape, you see a Division II version of Chase Claypool. Uh, that, that, that's what he looks like. That's how he plays. And obviously, he faces a pretty big jump in competition going to the NFL level. And that's that's something that's hard to, you know, you look into your crystal ball and, and it's hard to project how he's going to adjust to that. You know, more physical corners, more press. You know, your timing has to be impeccable uh, with your, your route work. And so the quarterback's getting you the ball on time to make sure he can trust you. There's so many things that go into it that are tough. But you're talking about the late rounds. You roll the dice on a guy like that who has that size, that speed, and just that upside, uh, the raw talent. That's the type of guys you want to take chances on. It's the same with with dynasty drafts as well. When you're doing the rookie drafts and those last couple rounds, it gets to the fifth or sixth round, right. and there, there's really you know you're just kind of taking shots, and that's exactly the kind of prospect you want to. A um, couple more, we'll get you out of here. I got to admit, this next question is actually not mine. One of our longtime <laughs> score staffers, Gino Batero, he wants to know your thoughts on Kyle Pitts because normally it takes time for tight ends to get going in the NFL. It's a position where it can often take a couple of years, right? And so mm-hmm. Gino is wondering how quickly you see Pitts transitioning into the pro game. Can he be that dynamic player in year one? Is it going to take him some time to get acclimated, to improve his blocking? I mean, he's not a terrible blocker, but I think he he could still use some work there. So mm-hmm. how long before he can be the kind of difference maker who fantasy managers can really rely on every week? Because it is so rare for tight ends to have a chance at doing that, but Pitts is no regular tight end. Yeah, bingo, exactly. I think that's, you know, I... I talk about when I talk about Pitts and I get the responses well when's the last time a tight end was drafted top 10 and lived up to it 
And my response to that every time is, okay, when's the last time we saw a talent like this come into the draft? Like, it's just, he's so rare. We don't see guys like this every day. Guys that are, you know, 6'5 and a half, 245 pounds, 83 and a half inch wingspan, 440 in the 40 yard dash. And I mean, just on those raw numbers, it's that's enough to get you excited. But then you watch the tape, and it's even better. Uh, watching him against SEC corners, not just linebackers and safeties, but he's burning SEC corners. You throw on the Kentucky tape, and you can see him blow by Kelvin Joseph, who's a 4-3 athlete, who has a chance to be a first-round pick in two weeks, and he's beating him deep. Um, and it's not just the athleticism and the size. He has elite ball skills. The reflexes, the hand-eye coordination, the catch radius is humongous. And it's just a really impressive collection of traits at a position that is, you're right, it usually takes time to adjust. But this guy, I think, is the exception. Um, And to me, you want to use him kind of like a Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, 50-50, he's in line or he's detached. You don't have to line him up with his hand on the ground every, every single snap. That's not how you're using him to the best of his ability a lot of times you know put him as the x receiver in that offense and uh you know you're dare defenses to stop him um and it's the same thing with pitch you can line him up in line he can execute basic blocks but for the most part you want him in the slot on the outside uh you know running routes down the field creating those mismatches so just i think his presence out there is going to help an offense in terms of how defenses are trying to cover you how they're trying to uh you know make these adjustments with their personnel packages but then also i think he's going to get his production as well and you know i don't know that he's going to be out of the gate uh you know uh, an eight touchdown guy i i don't it's hard to project that uh especially when we don't know just which team he's going to which situation which quarterback all that but I, I do think he's going to make an immediate impact uh, somehow, some way. He's just, he's too good. There's too much talent. Um, and it's going to be interesting. You look at the Falcons at number four. Uh, they have a tough decision to make here with a, a quarterback likely staring them in the face. Uh, it gives them a long-term succession plan. Or they probably going to get an interesting trade offer uh, for one of those quarterbacks. So they could get a boatload of picks. Or they could stay put at number four and take Kyle Pitts. And you add him to that offense and you say, let's compete. Let, let's see if, you know, we can pass, uh, you know, the Saints in that division and, you know, push the Bucks for the top spot uh, in the NFC South. Um, you know, it's 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 a really interesting, uh, you know, decision here uh, for the Falcons. And then if, the, if Pitts gets past four, the Bengals at five, the Dolphins at six, you, you feel like one of those two spots likely where Pitts is going to end up. So uh, just a really fascinating conversation for a a fascinating prospect. All right, last one here. We always have a few, or maybe more than a few stunners on draft night. What's something that you could see happening or maybe something you actually expect to happen, something that might surprise people during the draft? Um, you know, I think it's hard to know like what, what would be a surprise, what's not. Like, I, you know, these receivers, as much as we talk about them, I think it's possible we could see one of them be like a CD lamb and fall a little bit, uh, you know, for no fault of their own. It's just kind of how it plays out. Uh, teams are looking for offensive tackle help. So Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater go, uh, you know, higher. They're looking for corner help. So Sertan and JC Horn, those guys go uh, higher. So as much as we love 
Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, if one of them were to fall outside the top 15 picks, I don't think that would necessarily be a surprise. And, you know, if I said that about C.D. Lamb last year, everyone would be like, there's no way, you're, you're crazy. For and sure, yeah. he falls to 17, and the Cowboys scoop him up. So you look at, you know, the Cardinals sitting there at 16. They could be in a position where if Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle are there, uh, yeah, that'd make a ton of sense. Um, and I think one other thing to, to watch for, too, is Urban Meyer can't help himself. You know, you look at that wide receiver depth chart, and it looks in, in good shape, you know, at least for uh, the, the the short term. He wants to be the fastest team in the NFL. And so you can't rule out an Elijah Moore at, what is that, 25, that second pick in the first round. Um, they've got uh, with the first pick in the second round as well. Don't rule out one of those speedsters, whether it could be a Kadarius Tony, uh, an Elijah Moore, uh, Rondale Moore, one of those guys. I, I, I just I don't think Urban Meyer can help himself. Uh, looking for that Percy Harvin, looking for the, uh, that edge to make your offense just a little more dynamic. I, I think I don't know if that would be a surprise or not, but it's just one of those things that I'm looking for as a possibility in the first uh, first two rounds. As long as the Jags aren't taking a running back early. All my James Robinson <laughs> shares, we don't want to see a running back go in the first couple of rounds to the Jags. Uh, that's all for today's show, though. I mean, like I said off the top, Make sure you're following Dane on Twitter, reading through that 2021 NFL draft guide, reading through his mock draft, all of his content over at The Athletic. Dane, thanks, man. I mean, this was great. Is there anything else you want to mention or anything else you want to direct people towards before we jump off? No, 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 that's great. I appreciate the kind words. Um, you know, if, if all you need is a subscription uh, and you get the draft guide for free. So not only all the great content on the site, but I think the draft guide alone makes it uh, makes it worth it. So hopefully people check it out. I, I promise you, you there is zero chance you'll be disappointed. We joked before the show, you said that, you know, once you're really busy right now, once May comes around, people aren't as excited <laughs> to talk to you. And I said, it's the exact same thing for me. Once the season ends, there's not fantasy going on every single day. People don't really want to talk to me. So maybe I'll give you a call May 1st. We'll do this again. <laughs> there you go. Sounds good, man. All right. Well, it's, you know, it's not going to be long. Dane said off the top, it's not going to be long before the draft's actually here. So then we will be shifting towards those 2022 prospects. I, I can't wait for all of it. I love the draft stuff. Just like Dane, I was Really excited to have him on here. Lots of content going up over at the score between now and the draft. So stay tuned to the NFL news section, to the NFL fantasy news sections of the app. You don't want to miss a thing over there. I'm calling it for today, though. Big thanks again to Dane. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we'll see you next time. Said leave on time. My baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight. I said leave